differences in language to think of ourselves as separate. We're humans and then there's the planet. There's the human society and then there's the earth. It's just, you, you go into indigenous perspective and indigenous culture and you'll see that that's completely, they, they, that division isn't there. That's really yeah. come in rather recently as a separation. And so mm. even within the environmental movement, you'll see within people's anger and disgust at humanity and the situation is this split. And it's yeah. like, and you'll see it's like an ecocidal worldview. It's basically mm. this perspective that humans are a plague on the planet and we're destroying the planet and we're bad and da 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 da. And it's like we are a keystone species in ecology and um, an orangutan is a keystone species. They're crucial to the functioning of the forest. They benefit a lot of other species. And so we are a keystone species, even though that might be a total trip to swallow for a lot of people our impact on the planet can be massively beneficial. We can be gardeners and stewards and be actual directors of energy on the planet that works in harmony with energy flow and regeneration. And that's, that's where I want to focus my energy on people that are aligning with that, that life force. And you got to accentuate the positive. You're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just bad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? Hello and welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain. Have I got a treat for you today, someone delicious to introduce you to. His name is Paul Daly. Welcome to the show, Paul. Thank you, Karen, for having me on this lovely podcast webinar. Oh, you're most welcome, darling. Now, um, I haven't sort of given you a title because let me tell you a little bit about Paul. I've got his bio here. He, um, I said, what do you call yourself? He says, Paul. <laughs> I said, Okay. <laughs> but Paul was born and raised. <laughs> Paul was born and raised on a fruit tree nursery in northern New South Wales. His dad started a family business growing rainforests and fruit trees. And Paul says that his family told him he was found in the rainforest. So he began a lifelong love affair with these ancient ecologies. He's passionate about plants, permaculture, earth connection, rewilding, and deep ecology. For over a decade now, he's been co-creating profiles, biocultural media content that is cross-pollinating personal and planetary transformation. He's lived in Indonesia for five years, working on permaculture, reforestation and agroforestry projects in partnership with the local people. His path has been on a journey of exploration and connection in relationship to the earth and a range of modalities from hands-on and practical, creative and cross-cultural, uh, oh, messed that up, haven't I? Modalities from the hands-on to the practical and creative cross-cultural. He also likes to focus uh, in integrating and grounding biocultural and deep ecology approaches to our personal and collective journey. From permaculture design to ecology restoration, outdoor education, and photographic and film documentation. He believes in a synthesis of head and heart and hand approach to living and awakening our innate human potential as stewards of the gardeners and protectors of our living 
planet. Oh, it makes me want to cry when I read all this. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, Mother, Mother Gaia is so, uh, is so sort of calling out for people to, to work with her, to protect her, to believe in her. And, um, and honey, one To love her. To love her. <laughs> You are one of these people. <laughs> Let me finish reading your bio. He believes in, I don't know if I'm reading, in the authors, have I said that already? Authenticity and integrity in living a life of purposeful, purposeful and infused with passion and drive. Choose to collaborate with people and networks that are working towards creating a better future. A Lush Forest, which is your latest venture, is your creative offering, an online hub of transformational forest expeditions, videography, photographs, photography and trans media storytelling so you're taking people into the lush forest in a few weeks in november to sumatra to um to explore all of this that we've spoken about absolutely um it's really exciting thank you for that introduction Uh, yeah, so it up a bit. <laughs> it's all good. It's all a bit, you know, I love to write and I love to share and how to weave these things together. And there's probably some words in there that maybe people aren't familiar with, like biocultural and what, what does that mean? And I think we're going to like see and learn a lot more of that over the coming decades. It's going to become more of a, more of a thing. Words are really interesting as they sort of, they have like a living, have a living evolution um yeah so sumatra is coming up it's actually one month exactly one one moon from now until we hit the ground um super excited the focus of the trip the intention is really to connect with the local people the local eco warriors the local people that are restoring the forest they're loving the forest um yeah really learning from them Um, when we look at permaculture it's a it's a design system for creating uh, regenerative human inhabitation on the planet, basically like to live sustainably or even regeneratively. And when we look at this sort of style or approach to, um, to how do we design our, our living systems, when we go to places like Indonesia uh, and we look at the traditional systems of how they live and their food forest systems, it's, this is where it comes from. This is where the food forest, the idea of a food forest comes from the way their social structures work, their collective way of collaborating and working, um, you know, in community, they've still got these systems that in Western countries uh, we're trying to piece back together. We still have it in fragments, but individualism's taken a massive, uh, massive hit on that. And, you know, a lot of people are living separately and everyone's conditioned by society and advertising to need to own one of everything. And, you know, getting back to sharing but the trip is mainly focused on connecting with these local people connecting with each other and primarily and fundamentally connecting with the earth Mm. connect with the land the forest Mm. Um, you do it in indonesia as opposed to like australia with the indigenous in australia because the indonesian rainforest is so incredibly lush and and our outback is so um looks teeming with life but it's kind of sparse is it like a- um yeah so actually i'm i would be honored to run trips in australia and collaborate with indigenous australian people that is something i'm completely open to and it's just all about where where do you get called where are you mm. where are you being what you know it is an indigenous perspective to say in australia to say that the land sings you you get sung to land you know get you get called by land 
So in a way that for me at the moment, it is the focus has been, you know, going on 10 years now, uh, Indonesia, the forests here are still really lush. There's like, I'm, I live in Wilson's Creek in Northern New South Wales and I'm surrounded by amazing lush rainforest. Um, the situation over in Indonesia is on a whole nother level. It's some of the most biodiverse rainforest on the planet. The place that we're going to in the looser ecosystem is the last place on earth where rhino, tiger, elephant, orangutan co-inhabit the same ecological community. It's a really, it's like one of the top biodiversity hotspots on the planet. Mm. And it's still, there is still hope to protect and save this, this, um, this patch of this big uh, area of rainforest, but it is under threat and well, it is being impacted upon by uh, industrialization, palm yeah. oil and development. Uh, I've heard yeah. that the Indonesian rainforest are the main source of the lungs of the earth. They're the main source of it. You know, one thinks it's the Amazon basin, but actually I heard that the um, rainforest in Indonesia is actually where the majority of the oxygen for the planet comes from. And um, uh, Not quite. I mean, yeah, it's, it's significant. The Amazon is the big mama. The Amazon truly is the big mama. Um, Ian um, Singleton, he is uh, an amazing conservationist who's based in Sumatra and he works for the Sumatran Orangutan Conservation Program. He said uh, if the if the lungs of the planet are the Amazon, then the looser ecosystem is its heart. And I found that really interesting. Um, and it is actually shaped like it is shaped like a pair of lungs. But um, yeah, it's a it's a massive big patch of rainforest. It is a huge contribution to the oxygen we breathe um, and creating uh, you know planetary scale um, resilience. Uh, for fighting climate change and, and all of that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, that whole tropical belt all going around the whole planet from the Amazon to Papua north of us through Indonesia, Borneo, third largest island um, in the world, and then Sumatra, and then going all the way around to the Congo and, and parts of West Africa. That's the tropical green belt, and that's where you get some of the largest patches of tropical rainforest. And I don't know the fact and figures off the top of my head but it covers only something like six to seven percent of the land surface mm. of the planet and yet contains within those terrestrial ecologies over 50 percent of the biodiversity so it's mega biodiverse it's teeming with life you go into the forest there and there'll be hundreds and hundreds of plant species in just one 100 square meters it's wow. phenomenal um, whereas if you go to north america uh, yeah, there's that, that, there's that many species in total across the whole of North America. Um, wow. Like that, so. That's amazing. Look, you say here that, you, you know, like the ecology of our planet, like the, how we're destroying the planet is probably the biggest problem of our time. And there are plenty of eco-warriors out there trying to change that. But um, you, you've got a quote on your Facebook page. Um, in your bio, you say the world needs uh, dreamers. And the world needs doers, but above all, the world needs dreamers who do. But you also say on your Facebook page, I used to think that top global environmental problems were biodiversity loss, ecosystem collapse and climate change. I thought that with 30 years of good science, we could address these problems. And then you say, but I was or actually not you. No, this is Gus Beth. Sorry, this is a quote from Gus Beth. I was wrong. He says, the top environmental problems are selfishness, greed, and apathy. And to deal with these, we need a spiritual and cultural transformation. 
you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, that's really it, isn't it? Um, and that's not to say that some of the frontline scientists aren't doing incredible and important work. Um, I just think that quote nails it and, and really says what this is all about. If we want to tackle some of these challenges, it's a, it's a spiritual awakening. It's a spiritual revolution of the heart to reconnect to the earth. It's about coming back into love and connection with the land, um, with each other and what our, what our full collective potential is. Uh, that is what's going to really create the transformation that we need that is happening um, right now. So another amazing deep ecologist and elder in my community, um, John Seed, he, he talks about that whole connection with the roots where he was an activist back in the 70s. Um, yeah, he was an activist back in the 70s and 80s and still is fighting against rainforest destruction. And he came to the point where he realized like, oh, we can save, we can go and save um, you know, patches of rainforest here or there, but for every time we, we protect one area, there's a hundred being chopped down somewhere else. So what we really need is this inner revolution, this reconnection back to the fabric of life, back to the, the circle of life, of the interconnectedness of our place in the world um, and the cosmos. So I'm really passionate about this stuff and I, and I get that everyone um, interprets and perceives that through their own cultural, through their own biocultural framework. Uh, but I'm, I'm conscious that a big part of this activism work is, is inner activism. So, you know, people doing their inner work and transforming their inner world um, are actively working to protect and, and um, conserve our beautiful planet. And it seems abstract and I'm sure it will be challenging for some people to hear that, but I really believe it. You know, it's like you do the inner work and um, the outer is just a reflection is reflecting the, the inner pollution so we've got to work on cleaning up our inner river um, at the same time as getting your hands dirty and go out there and help and do things it's totally goes hand in hand um, that's why a lot of the work that you know myself and colleagues and people in this field we call it head heart hands so it's like the head level is you know the understanding of the ecology the amazing intelligence of the mind combined with the heart the feeling center um, the resonance uh, of your of your inner core, and then the hands is your your action, your doing. You're you're not just talking. You're not just you know. And, and when we align all of them, um, some pretty powerful magical stuff happens. Uh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely, absolutely. You know, we've had a little bit of a discussion about this, and and you said that people that are in the environmental ecology sort of place and they want to save the planet they're not really open to that inner work, you know, that's all about action, action, action. Hence people going out on boats and trying to stop whaling. And, you know, there's a lot of anger out there about what, how we're destroying the planet. And I look out into the world and see these passionate people screaming and yelling about all the tragedies that are happening on our planet. And I just know that that anger and frustration is not actually helping because as you say, it's this... Well it's a challenging one. I, I hear what you're saying there. I, I think anger as an expression is really valid. And I think that anger response is really powerful. When we look at the world, we've got a lot of people that are switched off, apathetic. They're not feeling, they're not feeling any anger. Anger's repressed. So maybe those people are expressing the imbalance collectively that we have. And it's like, on one hand, it's totally shut down. I'm not feeling anything. 
And then on the other extreme end, we've got like major anger playing out. Um, I think it's, it's valid in its own right. It's just about everyone finding where they fit in that spectrum of action. Joanna Macy talks about the three levels of um, action in the times of transition. Uh, am I going to be able to remember this off the top of my head? I hope so. So one is basically on a spiritual transformational level. The other is direct action, is trying to prevent the situation that's causing the damage. And then the third is creating the new paradigm, using your energy to create solutions and pouring your energy and your passion and your love into what the solution and what the answers are. And so I think they're all valid in their own right. And I, but I think some of us are more drawn to other areas. Um, I'm a highly sensitive person. I'm, if I'm sort of in a activist style setting and there's like a lot of high energy intensity going on, I'm like, I have to protect myself. Um, and I'm coming to terms with that and I'm learning to understand that's how I operate and that's my energy center. Um, but I also really respect direct, um, direct action frontline activists I think this is a really important um, you know part of what's going on and I think it's just learning and discerning where where uh, are we helping to stop and fight the, the the things that are happening that are damaging the planet and the ecology or are we also playing out our own internal emotional um, fucking sorry <laughs> uh, childhood childhood wounds um, and and maybe it's okay that that's all mushed in there together because we're human and that's all part of it. Um, I know from personal experience, you know, after a breakup or something like that in my life when I'm feeling really down, if I look at what's going on to the forest in Indonesia, it's going to hit a lot harder when I'm feeling a bit broken and a bit sort of sensitive. It's going to come all up. Um, so it's, it's, all, it's all in there. Um, but I totally think that we need to look at what um, what area we're called, what area of action we're called and what works for us. If we're burning out, if our energy is being depleted and we feel like there's no hope and it's all doom and gloom, then we may need to tap out because that's what happens. A lot of activists burn out and burnout can be from like way too much action that's not aligned with your spirit or your like your center. Um, and it can also be the other end of the spectrum where you're not doing anything <laughs> that's activating your fire and you're burning out because you're in a line of work or you're doing something with your life that just doesn't align with who you really are and what you're really about. And therefore you burn out and a lot of people go into depression or different states of being, which are all totally valid parts of the path um, as well. It's just learning to understand these. And I think that's, that's happening more and more with the starting to understand you know, what our emotional responses are and what they're teaching us. And mm. yeah. You know, I was showing you a Greg, I actually found it on some a friend of yours page, a Greg Braden um, video of him talking about manifesting. And he was told by this shaman that he was going to make it rain. It hadn't rained. And, and he said, you know, I'm going to go for a walk. And he said, I thought you said you were going to make it rain. You were going to do a prayer to make it rain. And he goes, yeah, I am. But it's not about asking. It's about feeling like you already have it, which is this classic thing about manifesting and law of attraction and all that. You know, we talk about creating our reality. Most people are saying, you know, I want the new car or the better lover or whatever. But there's a lot of people out there who are trying to create a better world you know, like a, a reality like this, we stop polluting and damaging our world and regenerate our world. And I really feel that uh, that, you know, principle is really important to, to feel like instead of focusing on 
how we're destroying it and being angry about the problem is to focus on the regeneration. And I feel like taking people into this lush rainforest like you're doing in Sumatra and, <laughs> and having that visceral, physical, sensory experience of being in that lushness, you know, with the happy animals and stuff like that is a, a part of that creation process because in order to create anything, totally. you need to feel it. So when you're feeling the lack of something, you're creating more lack. And when you're feeling the abundance of something, you're feeling, you know, you're creating, you're creating that future. You're, you're drawing that, you're drawing that into your reality. And this is something as um, eco warriors or people who just want a better world need to understand that feeling the lack of whatever we see in, in life uh, creates more of it in a way, you know, it does put us, totally. into, it does put us into action though. Like when you feel the lack, you birth a desire and then usually you're like, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to create a yeah. better world. Mm. Yeah. And I think all of that stuff you just mentioned is really super interesting and we need to have more discussions, uh, you know, around the world about this sort of, and even language I'm super passionate about what sort of language we're using. Are we trying to like, fix the world or say even even language like i'm trying to save the world or save the planet it's like the planet is the earth <laughs> the earth has got this you know it's as a human species we really got to look at the way we're living and and look at our own sort of survival within that context the way we're going it's it's you know it could be um very much on the line for our survival but the planet is super resilient so when we tune into the forest and this sort of deep time, deep ecology perspective, um, we see that going back hundreds of millions of years, even billions of years on, on the planet, there's been five massive big uh, extinction episodes. There's been mm -hmm. massive big like traumas, if you want to call it that, on the planet where there's been 90% of all life has been wiped out. Mm -hmm. And that's not to justify that, oh, well, that's just happening now and it's a natural thing, whatever, we shouldn't do anything. No, it's just to understand that life is super resilient and super amazing at regenerating itself. And then it's about going, oh my God, life has manifested this amazing human experiment, this human expression, and it's just incredible and phenomenal. And there's no words for that. And Basically, let's align ourselves with that. Let's realign ourselves with the life, life force energy or the planet um, as, as a force and, and then get excited about what future potential there is then. I think a lot, of the, a lot of the language we use is obviously an expression of our underlying worldview and our underlying lens that we're looking through. And a lot more work needs to go on under the surface for a lot of us and actively and continually at understanding what is our fundamental worldview. Have we been conditioned through our, you know, conditioning processes and language to think of ourselves as separate? We're humans mm. and then there's the planet. There's the mm. human society and then there's the earth. It's just you, you go into indigenous perspective and indigenous culture and you'll see that that's completely, they, that, that division isn't there. That's really yeah. come in rather recently as a separation. And so mm. even within the environmental movement, you'll see within people's anger and disgust at humanity and the situation is this split and it's yeah. like, and you'll see it's like an ecocidal worldview. It's basically mm. this perspective that humans are a plague on the planet and we're destroying the planet and we're bad and da, 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 da. And it's like, we are a keystone species in ecology and um, an orangutan is a keystone species. They're crucial to the functioning of the forest. They benefit a lot of other species. And so we are a keystone species, even though that might be a total trip to swallow for a lot of people. 
our impact on the planet can be massively beneficial. We can be gardeners and stewards and be actual directors of energy on the planet that works in harmony with energy flow and regeneration. And that's, that's where I want to focus my energy on people that are aligning with that, that life force and looking at the forest as John seed again, nailed it. He said like, basically I am the rainforest recently emerged into human consciousness. I love it. Like that's a deep ecology perspective. I am the rainforest. I've recently emerged into human consciousness. And, and that just nails it for me. It's like we, when we go into the forest and we're connecting, we're connecting with ourselves. We're connecting with our own ecological beauty. We're just this node in, in human form, but we're inseparable from the broader landscape and ecology. And when we start embodying this and living from that truth, and when we start having school systems and um, educational paradigms switch over into that, <laughs> what's that going to be like like what what sort of a world will that be so a lot of it is it's a lot of inner perspective um inner lens or, or um cultural paradigm a lot of the work is there is is looking at you know what is our perspective and what is the programming programming that we got does it serve us does it serve the planet um and should we get rid of the stuff that's not serving and replace it with um, worldviews that are aligned? And thankfully we've got a lot of ancient perspectives and indigenous perspectives that we can draw on that are in our DNA, in our ancestry um, for all of us. Like we're all, every one of us are indigenous to this planet and have indigenous lineages. Um, and then there was a colonization process. And so a lot of this work is also decolonizing decolonizing your mind, rewilding, coming back to your um, authentic, original, I guess, blueprint. Um, does any of that resonate, Karen? <laughs> Sorry. Ooh, I love that word, rewilding. Sorry, I press mute for a minute. Um, rewilding, yeah, be becoming yeah, a bit more wild. It's interesting that all the indigenous of our whole planet, like this planet, like I think cosmically, you know, I think like cosmos. Um, you know, my daughter lives with a guy in a, in a, on a farm who's so upset about the environment that he's just completely gone backwards and he believes that every single person on the planet needs to get, like we need to cook on fire and, you know, sticks. And like it's like the ancient people used to do, this sort of like cavemen used to do, no electricity or and i just don't believe that's the answer i think that we can have our technology that works in perfect harmony with the wildness and the wilderness you know like i just think of like advanced civilizations that have evolved out of our selfishness and our separateness consciousness who live in harmony with their planet or with the, with nature and i think that we can evolve into that too we don't need to go back to the stone age and able to stop polluting the planet. Um, what yeah, do, totally. What do I you think a lot that? of people kind of fall into that thing of when, we, even when we say rewilding, thinking that it is going backwards, it's not, it's yeah. evolving actually. And it's coming yeah. into your authentic, original wild self or bringing that into, into your um, embodied experience of being a human. And at the same time, like technology is amazing. Like combining to, to combine technology and human evolution with that wisdom of the heart and that connection to the earth. 
I'd love to, if we've got time, I'd love to tell a little, little story or something that really inspired me. Um, that kind of one of those moments on my path about eight years ago, yeah. um, just before I first went to Borneo on an I haven't expedition. even got into your story yet. We got so into the conversation. I wanted to sort of tell, tell your journey, but yeah, yeah. Tell yeah. Well, I'll, yeah, we could start with this. So it, it's called Changing the Dream. It's a symposium that was on. I had some friends who were riding their bikes around the world and it's called um, the Pachamama Alliance put it on. So it's a Changing the Dream symposium and they take you through this process. It's really incredible. Um, they're still really active. And a part of that, they tell the story of how Pachamama Alliance came to be. And it was basically this group of North American um, scientists and activists and ecologists and all types who went down to South America and really inspired to help and really inspired to like take action and, and do their, you know, do their part. And they came into contact with the Achua people who are uh, an indigenous uh, tribal people in Ecuador, yeah. up in the mountains there. And they're, they're a real dream-based culture. Um, they, they really work with the dream world and, and dream um, contact and communication with nature, basically, N nature dreaming through them. And they had this vision about this happening and they said it's really aligned with an ancient prophecy, which is called the prophecy of the condor and the eagle. The yeah. condor represents the South American or the indigenous earth-connected, more heart-connected uh, perspectives on the planet. The eagle, the North American eagle, the bald eagle, was representing the northern uh, perspective, which is more of the mind, I guess. It's more technology-based. But it's also really brilliant in that, in balance, the mind is amazing and, and has all of this innovation. And the prophecy was that when the two came together, when the two combined and collaborated and connected, when the head and the heart came into, into communion and, and collaboration, um, that's when there would be some real transformation happening uh, on the planet. And it was really interesting in this story, they also said like, it's really great that you want to help us and we really see that you're coming from the right place and your intentions are pretty, pretty good and pretty pure. Um, but really what you need to do, the most powerful thing you need to do is actually to go home where you're from and change the dream in your change the dream, which is basically to say to like work on your own uh, alignment or your own lens. And um, it's interesting. Like there's, there's a lot of contradiction in what I'm talking about because I'm taking people on trips to um, South, <laughs> Southeast Asia. And I love that. And I'm sit with that. I'm not yeah. naive to that paradox at yeah. all. I, I really like to just sit with that and sit with the uncomfortableness that that brings up with me. And I'm learning constantly about what is this like. So it's about relationship and connection. And really the decolonizing process is to look at what is it in us, especially if we've been programmed from a Western perspective which innately has kind of conquer, conquestadorial, you know, and also the whole white saviour complex thing as well in going in and we want to be the white saviour and it's like, but <laughs> hold on a second, let's really honour and listen to what the local perspective is and um, learning to listen a lot more and learning to build relationships and um, it's definitely an ongoing journey in like letting go of those um, perspectives that are a little bit more like trying to go in and this is what my fixed idea is of what you need and all of this stuff happening. But yeah, so the Pachamama Alliance and the Changing the Dream um, Symposium really instilled that perspective of the combination and the, and the combined energy of East-West, of 
uh, north-south. Uh, all of these are like archetypes. And you can even look internally at like mm, the marriage of the masculine and the feminine or bringing in the, the feminine intuitive um, with the, the masculine vision and the action and the doing and putting that into alignment inside ourselves and then, and then going out into the world. So yeah, that was 2010 and that followed on from that was this big journey over in Indonesia and being called to sort of. That's when you went over there. Is the Pachamama Alliance, that's Lynn Twist is involved in that. She's like one of the most inspirational people I've ever, you you know who Lynn Twist is? Like she talks about money and abundance. Yeah. Like, well, you don't know who she is. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I'd love to get her on the show. She's an inspiration, but there, the Pachamama Alliance is something that she's really put her energy behind. Um, but yeah, you know, this whole separateness thing that we t- talked about, we talked about people feel separate to the planet and therefore they, you know, find it easy to, you know, not think about how, I have to say, when I was a kid, I used to think about the rubbish we put in the bin and it used to distress me so much. I used to have to actively think, surely the adults know what they're doing so I don't have to worry about the rubbish. And then, of course, I grow up and then we start talking about how this, you know, like we've got these mountains of rubbish and I'm like, actually, the adults didn't know what they were doing, you know. Yeah. But as a kid, I used to worry about, like, you know, what was happening with the rubbish I throw away and just thought, no, the adults know what they're doing. They, You know, it's being disposed of environmentally friendly and it so wasn't. But, um, you know, walking into a supermarket and looking at these rows and rows and rows and rows of plastic stuff that we buy and then timesing that by every supermarket in the world and then thinking about how all that plastic's going into landfill, it can be overwhelming. I have to say I get a little overwhelmed at times when I have thoughts like that. And then I think Mm. about what you've just talked about, you know, marrying the the science with the intuition, which I think that is what the like highly evolved or more evolved um, beings that inspire a lot of us have done. And there are ways of breaking down all that plastic. Like there's even people, there are young kids developing, um, uh, what are they like? Um, I can't think of what the word is, that, that, that eat plastic, like little... Um, yeah, there's, well, there's fungi, they've fungi. Uh, pulled stamina microbiologist um yeah ecologist he he's found uh, his team have found like a, a fungi that is eating the plastic and you right. know the aligning with the earth biomimicry is another big thing and like finding ways to sort of connect with and uh, the process of nature because basically like look at a forest it's the ideal perfect demonstration of regenerative 100 million plus years on and on and on forever of nutrients just going around and around and around exactly. and, and everything just goes around it's pure recycling and so we need to shift pretty quickly to that on a planetary level and we've got all the technology we've, it's all emerging we've, we've got, got all, the technology it's all there we can totally yeah. do it. yeah yeah, we do. And it's coming in more and more. And of course, we need to have reduction of consumption and all of that needs to happen as well. It's all there. Um, I think what holds us back from like full implementation is a lot of people are stuck in overwhelm and yeah. are actually in survival mode, even if they're making really good money in the top 10 or 5% of the planet. The way the system's been sort of constructed or created is that people are still running in fight or flight stress mode and survival mode, um, which is why, you know, in the 50s, they basically had, um, 
you know, the whole thing of we're going to have technology that's going to make your lives better and it's going to like make things easier and simpler. And look, technology is amazing and it has in many ways. But then you look and you go, but hold on, people's working hours of like the stress levels and work levels and everything, it's just gone up. So it's just like we haven't balanced the technology and that innovation of the technology with our sort of inner um, programming. And we're still operating on really old programming if we look under the surface a lot of that what do you call it? Like Protestant work ethic is playing out under the surface. Back into the oneness principle that we were talking about before. Yeah. So feeling one with the planet, but also feeling one with each other is something that we need to, um, you know, like not only even one with the people who we hate, this is something that like, this is That's something, where the real work is. <laughs> yeah. This is something humans don't understand, but I really feel like, you know, this, this, sort of like this action versus intuition like we're coming into a oneness of mind too like we we, we separate everything in this dimension you know on this planet we talk about male female this that we have very polarized we're very yeah. polarized I, and i think it all needs i think to the work is to depolarize, depolarize. i think I, i've been getting this for years now this like keeps coming into my mind this we need to depolarize a lot of the being locked in this sort of third dimensional the um, duality perspective yeah, is, yeah. is, yeah, is, is a polarity, um, which is a part of our experience. We, polarity is a natural um, experience of being human, but depolarizing is really, it's an interesting perspective, I think, to look at how do we depolarize those, you know, and open up to more potentiality there. Um, I think it's fascinating. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so we haven't even got into your journey. We're going for about 40 minutes or so. Um, how did you get into all this? I mean, obviously, you grew up on a, you know, with your dad in North, um, what did your bio say, in, the, in a nursery? In yeah, my mum mom and dad, um, yeah, they're still out there. They run the nursery. It was a fruit tree nursery. It's the, got the largest um, collection of uh, medicinal and fruit and fiber trees in Australia. It's a Daly's, Daly's nursery. Um, and yeah, like just growing up with the plants, you take it for granted. You don't realize at the time, but just being surrounded by plants and plant people. And also, I guess my mum and dad took us a lot. Uh, you know, our holidays were camping trips. Our holidays were going and, and seeing the forest. And every now and then on special trips, we'd go to North Queensland and see the rainforest up there and or go down south. So yeah, really like that close connection to the land and just also, yeah, through those plants, realizing when I left school um, and just falling deeper and deeper in love with the forest and, and experiencing that in, you know, different ways and realizing, oh my God, like these plants are incredible and working with them is a real treat and a real, um, yeah, I guess I less and less took it for granted and realized, wow, it's like this relationship you have when you traveling across the landscape where you're going for a walk, all of the plants in the local area, you, you, you know them, you have like a connection with them. It's a relationship and it is a bit of the heart as well. You've got the heart connection, but also the head, you know, their, their botanical names, you speak that language of where they fit in the family tree and what their ancestry is. Some of them are ancient, you know, bunya pines are 200 million plus year old trees that were around in the time of the dinosaurs and, it, it connects you to this deep time, this deep ecology um, perspective. And, and then realizing, wow, um, not, not everyone has that. Like if I was to do a survey in the street and get people to say, tell me what these 10 plants are with, with show them the leaves. 
most people are not going to be able to answer you. But if I laid out the 10, you know, logos of big corporations, they'll all be able to get it. Everyone will be able to tell you what that big M McDonald looks like and what the Coca-Cola, because we've been getting it through our media from the get go. We've been getting exposed to the media. So I guess I'm also really passionate about going, all right, how do we work with the media in a positive way, not throw it out and say social media is bad and technology is bad. I just want to live in the hills which is totally valid choice for people that I know that are doing that. But for me, it's not, I think it's really about integrating those worlds. And I guess, um, yeah, going back to that, that story is this like really passionate about the forest, passionate about photography and videography from the get go. And, you know, I've shared this with you and I'm happy to bring this into the conversation. Now I've lost a really, well, lost is the wrong word, but I've had a really dear brother, a, a spiritual, a soul connected kin. He's passed away just a few weeks ago and it's been a massive journey and just reviewing all of this and seeing what impact he's had on my world. And then realizing that that legacy is living and it's alive and it's ongoing and his, his spirit and his, his with me, if you look outside of a linear framework and look at it outside of space and time his energy is definitely there guiding me i've got he just gave me his latest business cards which <laughs> might play backwards but eco digitography an absolute legend um tony allison yeah so with me and him since i was like 16 i was really lucky to find a mentor an elder a guide you know i think it's it's a big thing we need that and we don't always get it in fact we don't we don't get it from our parents we're not meant to they play a specific role for us but it's actually about finding our our people that will guide us and I'm really grateful that I got that and I've reflected a lot on that of late and I'm really also saddened that there's people out there that aren't getting that and that's also why I'm really called to this work how do we give young people who are searching and, and looking for guidance for some support for some brotherhood for some uncleship um, particularly with young men uh, particularly with men that are trying to fit into this world where they've got the conditioning that they can't be vulnerable, that they can't share what's going on in their heart, they can't share their feelings. That's soul-destroying conditioning because you're innately disconnected from your truth in putting on a mask or a face of strength when, in fact, there are times that call for us to fall apart or to feel deeply the well of emotions that, um, you know, just by a very nature that women have just been a lot better at doing it's it's the it's the feminine sort of um, strength in being able to go into that that world um, but yeah back to the the tony journey so he was a real is he wasn't he is a real living presence for me and when i was 16 and just being called into this world to you know document and photograph and um in 2010 we i've just been editing the movie it's incredible uh, we went over to borneo and went on our own self-initiated expedition documenting palm oil indigenous people and connection with restoring the forest and the earth and that was the beginning of a really very strong intense and ongoing relationship with that land and the following year, we always felt like it was a recce, you know, um, a recce being, you know, like don't scout it out. Mm -hmm. We're going to come back. We said it. We were like, we'll be back. And the following year, after the Pachamama Alliance changing the dream, we all get these little moments in our path where we, we get the signals and the you know, what's the next step. And that came through really strong. There was this call out for young people that were passionate about the earth and the land and um, that they were putting together a team of 15 eco-warriors, uh, young, passionate, 
ecologically active people to go into Borneo and work with this scientist, Dr. Willie Smits, who was collaborating with indigenous Dayak people to come up with solutions to deforestation. So instead of like trying to fight activist style or whatever, it was like, what are the solutions? What are the economic, what are the cultural community development solutions? And that started in 2011. We went back in 2012, we made a film, feature film called Rise of the Eco Warriors. Um, and then after that, I, I decided I wanted to stay on and um, ended up meeting a, a local Indonesian woman, fell in love, all that stuff. It was, you know, I was like, okay, this is, this is where I live now. I'm embedding myself, going deep. <laughs> and yeah, I really connected uh, with the local permaculture community with that emerging sort of fusion of permaculture within an Indonesian context and how that is expressed in this really interesting Southeast Asian um, when we say Indonesia or Southeast Asia, it's still a really broad term because Indonesia yeah. itself has hundreds of different cultures. It has hundreds of different languages yeah. and I'm just, just keeping it general there. But yeah, so I ended up living in Java and started uh, with a group of local people there, the local permablitz movement in, in Jogja. And um, yeah, really just sort of sunk my roots in and, and had that whole um, biocultural experience of living and, and that being my home, um, you know, for, so. for many in, years. I was in the hills above Jogjakarta a couple of years ago with Habitat for Humanity and it's just the forest, the rainforest, it's just incredible. It's just an incredible part of the world. Every, it's like it's got to be on your bucket list, you know. It's got to be on everyone's And that agroforestry stuff is phenomenal. Like if mm. we talk about permaculture and food forests, and, you know, I'm really, this is why I'm passionate about, and I get that this is like conflicted, but you look at permaculture and the permaculture leaders, a lot of them are white men. I'm yeah. generalizing. But there's a lot of men that are white and, and then just, it's like a, it just seems to be that's where the, the uh, leadership within the community has been. Bill Mollison himself, who, who started it, you know, in, within a kind of Western concept in the 70s permaculture and, I'm not dissing any of their amazing contributions. Like I can stay, say that and still honor their, their contribution, but it's just interesting that, um, yeah, that, you know, where is that sort of a local voice for that? And so a big part of my work over there was to sort of go, you know what, why don't you just like use your camera to point the lens at the local people right. and give them a voice. And yeah. Even when there were PDC permaculture design courses to step back, there's a part of me that does want to jump in there. There's another part that's like the locals need to lead. The local people need to be the local leaders and to just like take a step back and work more behind the scenes and work more, under the cover um yeah so and and as far as java goes and those agroecology systems they're ancient they're ancient amazing highly productive what we call like the javanese home garden um you know multi-stacked systems with coconut and jackfruit and mango and you walk through even the city in jakarta and it's mm -hmm. a friggin' food forest mm -hmm. it is everything we are, are trying to do in the permaculture in Australia and for decades and decades of that I think the best examples we've got are fragmented little great little systems but really we do not touch on what they've done over there um, mm. and where I am in northern New South Wales you know 99% of the big scrub the original rainforest has been cleared and there's only 1% left and in that cleared land there's only 6% of that land is actually being used productively so 
I mean, it's just all of this interesting stuff when we look at the potential of what we can create with food forests and, and agroecology systems, which a lot of people are trying their best to do on the grassroots, um, but it just doesn't compare to over there. So a lot of the aid stuff is kind of like we are these developed country, you know, first world people that know it all and we're going to go in and help save you. And it's like, we need to flip that script and not flip it to the opposite, but flip it in that, well, maybe we need to have like Indonesian people coming out here and teaching us how to use bamboo or teaching us how to do this food forest stuff. Like I'm, I'm really passionate about this and um, you can you know, feel I get a little riled up, but yeah. It's, <laughs> oh, dang, well, look, it sounds to me like, um, or it feels to me like Tony sort of passed the banner really <laughs> to, well, I'll tell you what I've been thinking about that a lot lately because he was very passionate about speaking up for what he believed in and I am someone through my conditioning and just my own sort of process that probably is more on the other side of repressing anger and holding it back and trying to be a peacemaker and trying to see the good in everyone and although that may be noble and a good thing to sort of aim towards I think it's also really awesome when people are just like this is what I think and this is what I feel and he definitely had that. So I've been like, mm, I want to take on a bit of that, bro. Don't, I don't want the full force how you did it. That was your thing. But I want the, like, that, that, um, that passion within that anger and, that, and use that as a constructive force for creation. Yeah, that's interesting. Because um, the, energy, the energy of anger is um, not such a dense energy, actually. I had this, I, you know, I was um, explaining this to my husband one day and we had this experience of, or ex-husband, I should say, he was driving home from the city. We lived in the Northern beaches and he was really tired because he had these thoughts. Oh, I've been a long day and I've had to drive in and out of the city twice and oh, the traffic, it's like, and all these thoughts make you really tired, right? And then we had a letter from our landlord when we got home that made him angry and um, because she was a crazy landlord. And I said, <laughs> how do you feel now? And he says, completely energized and not tired anymore. And I said, See, it's interesting that anger actually gives you energy, yeah. you know, rather than feeling depressed and tired and inactive. So that passion and anger sort of gives people the energy to, to do. And it's learning to channel it as well. Yeah. It's learning to not direct it at people. And it's particularly if we're feeling overwhelmed by it and we're triggered, you know, I think it's Brene Brown that says when we're in that triggered state, not fit for human consumption. <laughs> so it's like, you know, when you're in that full sort of mode, but then when it is coming through is learning to sort of feel that and then also recognize that, yeah, that anger is showing you maybe your boundaries or it's showing you what you really love and what yeah, you really Yeah, it's showing love. you your passion. Or it can exactly. also be showing you and you're not looking at it is your sadness. Yeah. Under anger can be some deep sadness as well. Um, yeah. yeah, it totally depends on the context. So what do you want to create uh, what's the what's the vision? What's the future that you want to create with uh, now that you're holding the banner? Now Tony's passed you the banner. <laughs> yeah, he has. I've been thinking about this a lot with the expeditions and the work on this project is to combine the documentation with the photography and the videography. We've been doing it all along. You know, it's just time to step it up a whole nother notch and combine that with the relationship building and the connections with the local communities and the people that are doing great work on the ground um, and creating that sort of process for people to come over and experience that and be touched by that. And 
I'm calling these transformational forest expeditions. And the transformational element is to bring in what we've been talking about is to go, we're not just going to sightsee and see what the locals are doing and maybe give some money, which is a great thing to help and then go home. We want to go and have a transformational experience. We want to find our edge. We want to look uh, into our own path and where we're at and have a check-in and see if there's some downloads for us um, and things that can be shifted. And hopefully the vision there, if we do it right, is that people come back from the trips and they're fully lit. They're fully lit up and activated and they've got some tools, um, both you know, emotionally or energetically and also hands-on. Um, to go back to their community. I, I really want to create this and, and keep continuing to create this network of regenerative um, impact centers so that are already existing. I don't think, I don't particularly have a vision to go and create my own one over there. I think it's, it's I, I kind of cringe when people get these big visions and they want to go over to developing countries and do, and it's like, there's local people doing that, man. Just go and work with them, go and collaborate with them, um, but each to their own. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just really about this combination of like, go have this experience, but then find where is your spirit of place? And I, I had this come up in when I was living in Indonesia and I had to be really honest with myself when they, when um, the teacher was saying about what is your, where is your spirit of place on the 13th day of the PDC, the permaculture design course, you kind of do this like check-in. You've had this big experience in this whole paradigm shifting worldview and how you um, integrate your ethics in permaculture of people care, earth care and future care. And then it's like, so where's your spirit of place? And that's basically like, where is your, where is your base? Where's your community to work in? And it's an interesting one because for a lot of us in this world, there's multiple levels. We might, you've, you've got your network here, which is global. You've got people that can tune in and watch this all around the world. Someone could be watching this in the mountains in Japan. That would be really cool. Mm. Um, but then there's also our local sort of community. And when we look at this work, it's where a lot of our power is, is in, in that local network. And I had to face that when I was living over there is that I didn't feel that Indonesia for me was that as far as where I'm embedding, as far as where I'm putting my tap roots down, I had to realize that, and it was like the Pachamama Alliance thing coming back and going, go home to where you're from. <laughs> and, um, you know, face whatever you need to face that's in you that maybe you have run from or you have um, not wanted to look at and go back and face that and be in that and come back into your own belonging. And I'll, honestly, that's an ongoing process. I can, mm. would not say that I am fully in, have reclaimed that, but it's a process where you go back in and um, find your place in your local local community. So for me, that is my vision. I want to create that and I want to create opportunities for people um, to do that. And a lot of it will be around these forest expeditions. And I want to do them locally as well. I want to create uh, that up in the border ranges where I'm from here. Just the other day, two of Tony's really close friends and my friends as well, um, you know, going through the grief and then sitting there and going, well, what would Tony want right now? Like if he was going to, and we both just went, we'd all talked about this photo tour. This, my friend Drew Hopper is the most incredible photographer. He's, he's amazing. He's been doing tours over in Vietnam and India and all these places. But again, it's a bit like me. It's like locally, we kind of don't know where we fit or we struggle to, and then it's like, let's do them here. Let's do them up in uh, New England, New England national park border ranges, take people, teach them photography, teach them a bit of earth connection and, and gathering and, and make it this sort of transformational experience where people come back from that weekend and they've been 
they've just had an amazing download and they feel inspired or activated. Um, that's pretty much it. Wow, big future, darling. Lots to do, lots to do, lots to explore, lots to do. So for people that are passionate like you about what you're into, you've got a trip coming up on the 12th of November in Sumatra. You're going to Sumatra, like you said. Scott. Yes, 12th of November. And there's still a few places left. So if anyone's been um, journeying with us the last hour or so and is um, <laughs> curious about that, they can definitely jump aboard um, at this last minute. Alashforest.com. And, yes. um, and then you're going to Borneo in May. Borneo in May. That's like May really 2019. Exceptional because we're going to take Tony. Tony had a really strong connection with Tembak, with this community, this amazing Dayak community, and we're going to take his ashes over there and there's going to be an element of that. Um, but I am going to open that up to anyone who feels called to come and journey and it will be a true biocultural expedition. This is learning from Indigenous Dayak people. So everything from planting agroforestry tree systems to weaving, learning weaving from local people, uh, and just life in these communities is incredible. They are mm. super connected and um, it's just beautiful. You become a part of the family straight away. Yeah, and, um, it sounds gorgeous. It's a beautiful experience. So, yeah. Well, Paul, any last wisdom you'd like to impart with people? What can they do? How can they think, you know, before we finish off? Yeah, well, I guess for the nature connection stuff is doesn't matter where you live. Um, you know, it's just find that daily or as much as possible at your weekly check-in where you can go, even if it's in the city and you have to go and find a park or go to the ocean or something like that. I think it's really important. Um, lives in the mainstream system today are just busier and busier. Mm -hmm. And we're learning that that's not working. <laughs> that's not working for us collectively. So, yeah, find your way to connect to the natural world. And for everyone, that's really different. Um, but yeah, I really, I think uh, having a sit spot, having a place that you go to regularly and you can just observe the changes and um, you can look at what's flowering or what's going on down at that creek or just having a spot to go and tune in and, and drop into the land is really my, uh, that's what I would say. It's, mm. If you're not already doing that, find that sort of process where you can, you can get that experience. Um, I think that's going to be really transformational and, and we're going through this big shift right now where you're going to see things like rewilding and nature connection experiences is going to happen more and more because we need it. We need mm. that to, to be called back into that. Um, well, the, you know, the mob I chat to, the spiritual mob have said that Gaia has been on her ascension journey for a long time and she has ascended to a new level of reality and uh, the humans have to catch up because we're way behind. So when you do tune into that, to the nature, you can sort of talk to a flower or talk to a tree. You just, you just shift your, you shift your reality. You shift your consciousness. Totally. Totally. Mm. I'm going to a workshop tonight in, in Malambimbi from um, a local woman who's, who's going to yeah tell us all about how to communicate with the trees. And I'm, I'm really curious <laughs> about that. The learning never stops. Like I, I just, you know, it's unlearning and letting go of the, the sort of limited sort of perspectives and then relearning and reconnecting. And I'm really curious yeah. about that. I think trees and the land does have a life of its own and our communication oh, and yeah. connection to that. Absolutely. So where it's at. 
And, and that's what we were talking about before. It's that intuitive aspect, that sort of what has been deemed as feminine, creative, intuitive. It's just like expanding that, that you can yeah. talk to a tree. Like it's the same as how you talk to a, your cat. You know, it's not, it's not a language. It's, 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 it's um, telepathy. Totally. It's telepathy. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's like you listen with your feelings. You listen with your feelings. Yeah. And, and um, it's how you talk to you. It's so interesting because mothers do it with their newborn all the time. And it's so innate and it's so natural. And then once the child starts to speak, you just, it, you just like you stop communicating. Telepathy. Yeah, we get it conditioned. Yeah. We get it conditioned. Now. Yeah. Now so it's freaking rebirthing itself on the planet. And it's really exciting. You know, psychics <laughs> that I speak to on the show and, uh, you know, talk about talking to, um, to trees all the time. I had one guy on the show that said he was giving someone a reading and he said, you've got a plant at the back of your hallway and the plant saying to me that it needs to be moved because it's not getting enough sunlight and it's not doing well there. You know, like he's talking to this plant in her home, which was not even where he was. And so, yeah. So it's, yeah, amazing. it's just having, it's just opening that psychic ability that we all have, you know, we, we all have just expanding that. And that's, that's where we're going as a human consciousness is being more connected telepathically. We won't even use language anymore. We'll just all talk to each other with our minds, which is how we talk to trees. Well, it's already started. <laughs> Darling one, it's been such a joy and a pleasure to speak to you today and have a fabulous time on the expedition in uh, November. And uh, maybe I'll join you Thank in you. next year. Who knows? <laughs> you are most welcome. We'll hopefully get out of here. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks, Paul. Well, isn't he an extraordinary young man? Paul Daly. We had an amazing conversation after I turned off the recording, as we always do. We kind of, he lives up in near Mullumbimby, up near Byron Bay in northern New South Wales, where a lot of uh, spiritual people live, amazing people live. And, um, we were talking about some of the people that he's surrounded in the lush forest up there. I mean, Australia has its own incredible rainforest along the coast. You know, the centre of Australia is very dry and arid, but along the coast, especially northern New South Wales and, and northern Queensland, has incredible lush rainforest to explore. So hopefully he'll do some expeditions up there too in the rainforest and connect to the Indigenous there. But uh, extraordinary young man with a lot, a lot to share, a lot. He wants to really marry the whole ecology and spirituality. It's kind of, there seems to be lots of people talking spirituality and lots of people talking save the planet and they're not really speaking the same language and he wants to really marry those two because it, it is a crisis in consciousness. We have to feel more connected, more connected to each other, more connected even to our masculine feminine, you know, left brain, right brain more connected to the animals, more connected to the earth, more connected to the ETs, more connected to spirit, just feeling connected and knowing that we are all one. This is the oneness principle that uh, we all need to feel, be in more alignment with. That's, uh, that's what ascension is all about and kundalini experiences and evolution of human consciousness. That's what we're talking about. So thanks again for joining me for another show, Accentuating the Positive. And um, make sure to check out Paul's uh, website, alashforest.com. And maybe you want to go over to Sumatra or Borneo or come to Australia and be more connected to Mother Gaia, the Earth. And, uh, yeah, I'm not going to promote any of my stuff today. You know, go to the website. You'll see it all there, currentswain.com. You'll see the books and 
the seminars and the inner sanctum. We've got some amazing Penny Kennelly and Laurie Williams and uh, Rob Sampson's coming into the inner sanctum. To, you know, Rob's in a couple of weeks. He's going to be doing some more channeling Sananda, Lord, what do you call Master Yeshua, Master Jesus. He's going to come in and channel it to our little group. And uh, also the fabulous Penny Kelly is going to come in and speak about creating our conscious you know creating our reality plasma fields and all sorts of wonderful things you know she was talking to the um the elves on her farm when she had a kundalini awakening and they were telling her about being connected to the planet and how to grow her she has um she grows grapes i think on the farm and uh yeah amazing and also laurie williams is coming in towards the end of the year to talk about controlled remote viewing which is about expanding these fabulous intuitive and psychic gifts that we have so if you want to come in and meet these fabulous people be sure to join us in the inner sanctum love you all see you next time I can't